Hey everyone, it's uh, 8 p.m. Eastern. No, get off of me. Sorry, I had to take the squeaky toy away from the pups. Uh, it's ep episode 57, uh, Amnesty or Exile. Um, the Atlantic released a piece on Sunday that I thought was pretty just run-of-the-mill Atlantic, chin-stroking, um, by a professor named Emily Oster, calling for a... Uh, or calling for basically a COVID amnesty, a ceasefire, a truce between policymakers, academic institutions, members of government, teachers unions, uh, everyone who basically imposed a kind of policy outcome on people during COVID. She was pretty vague in terms of who she, exactly she was talking about, and she, oftentimes she pointed towards purveyors of disinformation uh, should not be let off the hook. Uh, she makes a vague reference to Donald Trump and Bleach. Uh, it's worth noting that in that whole saga with Trump and Bleach, the only person who actually used Bleach as a COVID treatment was Chris Cuomo's wife. But that's neither here nor there. I didn't really comment much on this. I just simply said absolutely not. Um, but as I observed the reaction to this piece, it, it went everywhere. And I saw everyone from blue checks or soon to be former blue checks to people I follow, um, just normies to everyone uh, had an extremely, shall we say, strong reaction to this piece. And so to just jump right in, uh, I want to hear your COVID experience or the thing about your COVID experience as to why or why not you were up for granting amnesty. Again, Oster to me is purposely vague in this piece. And it's because whenever a progressive institution fucks up, whether it's government or academia or media or culture, there's never accountability and there's never a call from them to have accountability. It's simply just mistakes were made. Let's move on. Um, what difference at this point does it make? Um, and it doesn't matter if it's terror attacks or pandemics or pandemic policy um, or what have you. But I saw responses to this, everything from I was not able to hold a funeral for my father to I was not able to be in the room to see the first ultrasound of my son because we were told we were going to kill everybody. And that's largely what I think she's admitting without really admitting it is that a lot of these people got a lot wrong. Now that we know, we know that we didn't really have to even close schools. And certainly once they were closed, the teachers union, Randy Weingarten in particular, basically strong armed the CDC and Rachel Walensky to keep them closed until they found a, uh, a favorable negotiation. How shall we say with the teachers unions? And so we've seen abuses of power that have directly affected just normal people, whether that's remote learning, uh, kids who have been set back. And then we also have seen our current president use the COVID emergency powers to forgive student loan debt and to continue to put on things like the eviction moratorium and things like that, uh, which is not done based on any science or policy. It's just, again, he's abusing his oath of office and he's using COVID to do it. Um, that also comes down to, obviously, um, <laughs> Sorry, I was I was doing so good. I was on sounding serious and everything. Um, this obviously comes down to businesses being shut down, to closing off beaches, locking down playgrounds, and 
a lot of this stuff now is they either want to memory hole it or just basically say, no, 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 that wasn't us. We were not responsible for that. And that includes uh, outlets like the Atlantic as well. Uh, this wasn't just a matter of policy. People were actually otherized and demonized for just simply going against whatever the official line was from the CDC. Um, and you're talking about actual epidemiologists, experts who basically said, hold on, here's what's going on in Europe. Why aren't we doing that here? And you were basically almost deplatformed if uh, if you even so as much questioned what uh, Anthony Fauci and Randy Weingarten and others we're implementing. And so there is a level of anger here. And there is a level of, I think, I don't know if I want to call it dishonesty, but there certainly is a level of um, volatile anger from people being directed. And I think you're going to see a lot of this play out as well in the midterms. And I don't think that they're prepared for the fact that this is the first election basically since COVID has been behind us. And I don't think parents in particular have forgotten what has been done to their kids. I want to read a Twitter thread and then we're going to jump in and I will uh, turn it over to you guys from a guy named uh, Vinay Prasad. He's an MD. I read this today on the podcast, but I think it's worth repeating. He's a professor of UCSF, physician scientist. He's a writer, also has a, he has a YouTube channel and podcast in Sensible Medicine. And he sums this up pretty nicely, I think. And, I, and in fairness, I don't know much about this guy, uh, but I found what he wrote to be uh, intriguing. So... I'm just going to read some of this stuff. Uh, he basically says, eventually politicians will strip CDC and other public health agencies of their power, and I won't be able to argue with them. Why? Public health misused and abused its powers, closing beaches, pouring sand into outdoor skate parks, discouraging people from outdoor activities, lying about the evidence for cloth masks and community settings, lying about the evidence for outside masking, not running any randomized control trials of masking in high-income nations, pushing masks on two-year-olds in contrast with World Health Organization recommendations, Evidence and basic common sense, culling animals, using the police state to enforce lockdown. I think that that one is being a memory hold. Uh, if you recall, churches were closed. You were not. And Michael Brennan Doherty makes this point at National Review. Synagogues in New York tried to remain open and they were physically shut down and locked by the New York Police Department. Um, not letting uh, not letting people hold their father's hand when their father dies, not letting people visit their mothers when she's hospitalized. Closing schools, but just for poor kids who go to public school, rich kids get to go to school. Making testing companies rich by recommending unproven testing. Inventing a six-foot distance ratio. Enforcing stupid distances to make it hard to run school buses. Lowering the regulatory bar for vaccines. Lying about the myocardias after the safety signals found in Israel. Never making drug companies test lower doses in young men. Doing absolutely nothing to mitigate the risk. Lying about natural immunity, repeatedly lying about it so you can force boosters on people who've already had COVID despite no evidence and lacking biological rationale. Um, this this one in particular, before I get back into this, uh, is interesting um, because, again, Anthony Fauci and the CDC and the Biden administration have never taken in natural immunity into effect when imposing vaccine mandates. And part of this is in, in a week, we're going to have a midterm election where I think you're going to see the balance of power shift, certainly in the House of Representatives, but perhaps even in the Senate. And one thing that I've noticed, and I was thinking about this as I was setting this up today, and I didn't even say it on my podcast, was there's no, there's not even a curiosity about COVID with this administration, with the Democratic Party. There's no curiosity about 
holding hearings or roundtable discussions about things like natural immunity and the effects of COVID. Um, there's no roundtables or even hearings about the origins of COVID, where it came from, how did we get here? There's no roundtables or uh, discussions about, um, again, how schools were closed. They just did it. And this, in, this lack of curiosity about the questions of this pandemic as they both try to put it behind them as well as con- crafting policy and keeping it as an emergency is also something that we have. It's, it's an interesting paradox that they're going to face. And I think you are going to see probably a GOP-controlled House at least start to ask some of these questions, and they might need subpoenas to do it. Um, continuing on with this Twitter thread, continuing the emergency state long after it's appropriate, continuing emergency powers when the emergency is passed. Vaccine passports discriminating, discriminating against people by vaccine status. Preventing Novak Djokovic from competing in the U.S. Open. People also, I think, are starting to forget about the trucker convoy in Canada. Um, preventing Kyrie Irving from playing in a basketball game, but he can sit courtside and watch. Making children wear masks to go to the zoo in California in November of 2022 to protect the animals who shouldn't be close to kids anyway, and they're all outside. Firing healthcare workers who got COVID taking care of sick patients because they didn't want to get a vaccine for the virus they had, already, they had already cleared and shed. Firing healthcare workers to the point that no one wants to work in healthcare anymore. Discouraging people from getting routine healthcare, publishing propaganda and MMWR to justify a broken agenda. Funding the Echo Health Alliance guy after all the issues about where the virus is coming from. If you aren't aware, uh, Fauci's NHID gave another grant to Peter Dotchik and Echo Health Alliance just this year spending 10 billion on uh paxlovid without randomized data in vaccinated people spending billions on remdesivir when it doesn't do anything spending so much money on useless tests the faculty members quit universities to go run testing companies selling said useless tests using uh useless tests to keep kids out of school inventing unproven quarantine policies to keep kids out of school that's a big one closing palo alto schools but leasing the space so parents can drop their kids off in zoom school where an instructor who's an underpaid worker opens a laptop so they can take a class with their teacher. If you stand back and consider the million things public health did to combat the pandemic, the ratio of incorrect things to correct things might be 100,000 to one. And doing all of this without running a single cluster randomized trial to figure out anything, to just do it on a whim without data. Here's a couple more tweets. But he kind of covers all the bases in that one. I don't, I don't care about what he says about uh, like Paxlovid or vaccines or anything like that. Uh, but he covers the bases of just about everything that happened during the pandemic. And now you have elite media who shamed people who got COVID, who, who treated it as a moral failing, and also treated if you were unvaccinated as an unclean zombie as a moral failing, even to the point of suggesting you or should not be allowed in public on places like CNN. And... Now that we're kind of in the rearview mirror of this and it's going to cost them, one, it's going to cost them electorally. Now they're asking for uh, leniency and amnesty. Uh, This piece from The Atlantic was shared by Randy Weingarten, who I think there's a severe underestimation about just how much of an influence she's going to play on everyone's midterm votes. And again, to me, this is a way of trying to get out in front of uh, we're sorry, we're sorry, don't kill us kind of thing. And one that's not going to work. And also, I do think this is a way of getting out in front and saying, please don't investigate this any further. We, we must just move forward. And as I've said, this is an excuse that is continuously used on that side of the aisle to justify not holding them accountable. 
I used an example of Andrew Cuomo. So when someone says, what kind of amnesty amnesty are you talking about? I, I say, look at Andrew Cuomo, who signed an order to put 11,000 people uh, into nursing homes in New York and ended up killing them. And that's something that you could maybe easily say that was a mistake because we didn't know the nature of the virus, which is what Oster uh, argues. But then we learned that Andrew Cuomo, because he was enjoying his star status and his uh, CNN directed, as we learned, CNN directed press conferences, uh, was hiding just how many patients they were admitting to nursing homes, especially after casualties started rolling in. He was, he was hiding that information from the CDC and he was hiding it from the New York City Health Department because he was in the midst of trying to write a book about how great he was. Um, that's something that if that's proven, which it is, we've, we've been told that over and over again, why is not Andrew Cuomo being charged with a crime? And this is what we mean. It's not just an oops, 11,000 people are dead. You know, so let's just move on with this. Um, and, and that's a good example of uh, why I think this idea of amnesty is, um, how shall we say, not operable for people. And it's not something that I think a lot of people are going to go along with. And a lot of that has to do with the upcoming election. So I wanted to host this particularly because I think this issue is tailor-made for, for a, uh, an application or a form like call-in where, you know, I could, I could come up here and I could get a writer, I could get a doctor, I could get uh, somebody up here to talk and we could all talk about no amnesty, but really it's your experiences. And uh, as I said, it's this kind of palpable anger that I saw in tweets and I saw in some Facebook posts and even, even coming from people who I know are 100% supportive of people like Fauci. And, of course, we saw the hypocrisy of politicians like Gavin Newsom ordering lockdowns and then going to the French Laundry. And that's a guy who should be made to uh, walk the frozen river. But we also saw it with Deborah Burks. We saw hypocrisy after hypocrisy after hypocrisy where the rules were made for you and it wasn't made for them. And then, of course, in the wake of the death of George Floyd, they all just decided we're going to hit the streets now. COVID is over because racism is the real virus or some shit. So everyone who basically played by the rules, we did we did what you told us because then oftentimes we didn't have a choice. Uh, they're now asking for forgiveness while everyone who decided not to play by the rules is basically just telling us we have to move forward and we have to move on. So I want to hear about your COVID experience and why or why not you're willing to offer amnesty. And of course, this is kind of in a, you know, a fantastical hypothesis that, you know, we're not going to go start roaming the streets with baseball bats and, and firearms to go hunting down these people. But when you write a piece declaring you want amnesty, you're going to get a reaction. And I think that this is the perfect place and the perfect forum to uh, get out some of those feelings and what you think. So like I said, tell me and the audience in this podcast about uh, your experience with COVID, at least in the frame of why you are not for granting amnesty to the people who did this. Um, as usual, a couple of ground rules. Just make, please make sure if you're not speaking to just mute your microphone for any background noise or anything. I have some going on right now and I'm sorry. <laughs> Stop it. Um, and it also just makes it better for the listener and the published recording. And then also uh, I do have a ton of people and I only want to be here for about an hour. So we have about eight, nine, 10 people back there. Uh, but I want to go just until about 9.15 Eastern so you can all go finish watching the stupid football game or get on with your night. And uh, that should do it. I'm going to just go ahead and jump in. You know the ground rules, and I just want to hear your stories. Faye, good to see you again. Go ahead.
Good evening, Stephen. Um, I'm going to try not to sound too emotional, but I was surprised by how strong a reaction I had when I saw this. And I'm going to give you perhaps uh, a somewhat interesting perspective in that, well, of course, everybody was affected by COVID. I think, you know, that we came out as as best as anybody could. So a lot of what I'm going to say is not from the perspective of having a personal axe to grind, but just as a human being who saw things go on. Um, and my thesis here is that, although, of course, I, I want to say, first of all, that nobody really asked for forgiveness. I know that, um, you know, Professor Oster had that sort of vague article, but I've never seen anybody say, you know, we did something wrong. So they didn't even ask for forgiveness. But, you know, let's pretend like we're in. Yeah. Yeah. Real <laughs> fast. I think that this is the contentious point, not to interrupt, but this is the thing sure. I kind of left out of my opening, which was I don't think amnesty is granted until people admit they made mistakes. And I think that that has a large part to do with this. Randy Weingarten's not sitting here saying, look, we fucked up, okay? Uh, that's because what she did was very much purposeful. Anthony Fauci's not really saying, look, we fucked up. It, when, when lockdown stuff came in, he said, first, we didn't really lock down. And then two, when it was talking about schools, he pointed to local jurisdictions. And then these local jurisdictions just say, no, we were going off of your recommendations. And it's the circular meme that goes on. And uh, that's I think that that's a big part of why people are feeling this way is because they haven't admitted wrongdoing. So go ahead. That was just part of what I meant to say in the opening. Um, yeah. So I think as someone who unfortunately had to work with and associate with a lot of the people who are in this quote unquote class, um, they don't care because they weren't affected. And there's just something wrong with a lot of people um, in our society. I don't, I don't know. Um, but they don't care. And it's interesting that you brought up about, we had talked about a, a minute ago about not asking for forgiveness because this kind of came to me and I'm going to just touch on religion, but not trying to proselytize, just explain my thought process. You know, this is about a month after Yom Kippur. I talked about being Jewish before. And so we engage a lot with the repentance process, um, not just going through it, but studying it. And so I, I thought about that you know, everything that we had been studying and, and trying to practice. And, you know, there's a lot of Jewish thought about that. But basically, the idea is that you have to follow a certain series of steps to ask for forgiveness and to feel like you are forgiven. Um, first of all, there's the idea that if you do something wrong to someone else, you can't just, you know, have Yom Kippur, pray to God, ask for forgiveness. You have to make it right with that person. That, that's pretty explicit. Um, you can't just say, like, there's no idea of confession or something. You have to fix it with the person you wronged. How, how, so how would that apply here? They they have to so, apologize for shutting down businesses. They have to apologize so, yeah, for locking I mean, beaches down. There's a series of steps that you have to follow. Basically, first, you have to acknowledge you did something wrong. You have to feel actual regret for it. You have to ask directly for forgiveness from the people you wronged. And you have to take steps to make it right. Um, and I'm going to say that I don't think any of those have been followed because I haven't seen anyone. I mean, just again, I, I was we were very fortunate. My husband and I, our jobs were not affected at all. In fact, we probably in some cases, investments, whatever, made more. Um, we were, unfortunately, have not been blessed with children, so we didn't have children who were affected by this. We were separated from family who we wanted to have seen, of course. Um, but as things go, we were very lucky. But we are involved in a lot of um, local community charities and organizations even before COVID and so saw, you know, directly how people were being affected. And, you know, just I'm probably just repeating things you said in a way, but think about just the categories, employment, how many small businesses that people sweated for, worked their fingers to the bone for for years, just lost forever. Um, how many people lost their jobs and suffered a loss of income 
that they may never get back. Um, you know, how many people suffered health issues or even died because of things like if they had an addiction or they even had, um, you know, a cancer that they didn't get their scan for, they didn't get diagnosed for. People literally probably died as many because of the side effects of what went on. Um, you know, and children, where, where do we start? I mean, I, I said this, I'm no expert, but I said this in the spring of 2020, like, hey, you know, you're claiming that you care so much about people who are underprivileged or minorities or, you know, income inequity. But what you are doing is going to screw these kids over for the rest of their lives more than anybody. Um, and the thing is, is that you can't claim that they were acting in good faith. Maybe in March, April, you could say, okay, it was new. People didn't know what was going on. But the minute May arrived and you had the same experts who were telling you, you know, you're, you know, a grandma killer if you want to go to your father's funeral, um, saying, oh, but you should be out there protesting. You knew that they didn't believe it anymore. The jig was up for anyone with a brain. Um, and when all the stories started coming out, you know, Carol Markowitz had that great thread that she kept going about how every other day you heard about another politician or another, you know, person in power who was found breaking the rules. They didn't even believe in it either. Um, in terms of kids, in my own state of Maryland, you had all the public schools that were closed through, I don't know, 2021. And then you had all the private Orthodox Jewish schools. And they it's not like those are small schools. We, we have a lot of kids in our communities. They went back in August 2020. Everybody was fine. So you can't say like, oh, we didn't know. You had clear examples showing you there was another way. But first of all, these people didn't want to give up the power. I just never realized, I think, before even working in government, what an untapped vein of people there were who just loved exerting power over people like this. You screwed over kids. You screwed over people's lives. I mean, I can't even tell you. I, I know Kanye West would be surprised to hear this, but not all Jews are actually rich. <laughs> um, and there are a lot of families who you know, have a lot of kids and they were doing fine. But education is very important to them, which I hope is a lesson they will learn in New York in next week's election. So there were people who were doing OK, but not super wealthy. And you took away their ability either to work or you told them at least the first few months of COVID, you've got to sit here and supervise your 10 kids in school. <laughs> well, or, or took away your ability to worship. That was a big one. Yeah. They, you know, they talked about how important speech was during the, the riots and the George Floyd stuff, but these were the same people that were shutting down churches. That's what Michael Brendan Doherty kind of goes into about on his national review piece. Um, and, you know, there were so many people like I would, we, we would, you know, do this charity work, doing more and more. And there were times when I would just get off a call or something. And I just want to emphasize that I'm not trying to make myself out like a Mother Teresa, but I would just start crying because I started getting emotional. I felt so guilty that I had so much, relatively speaking, and to watch people suffer like this. Um, there are people who, like, they will never recover from this on any level. It's atrocious what they did. And you know, I, we, I also think that that's this, this to me is the frustrating, angry part about why there is zero interest about how this happened, because basically 16 million people are dead worldwide. And we, we don't know why. Like, we don't know if this was a natural virus. We don't know if it was a uh, manipulated, man-made, created virus. And when you started asking that question, you were labeled a conspiracy theorist. Like I said with Tom Cotton, who, you know, two years ago said, I've seen intelligence that suggests this, you know, came out of a lab. And he was instantly labeled a pariah, a conspiracy theorist. But now, now that the right people and the acceptable people in media, like at Vanity Fair, are all saying it, uh, now it's an acceptable theory. 
And like you said, people who lost relatives, um, I managed to stay relatively untouched by it other than catching it twice myself. Thanks, China. Um, but people who lost relatives to this and, you know, we lost what? How many, like over a million people in the United States and there's zero curiosity to get to the bottom about who did this. And there's always these off the, off the, you know, off the record comments about how people in the scientific community know or at least believe that it came from, you know, human experimentation, but that they can't say that because they're afraid it will cause an anti-science backlash. And again, that that's part of the problem. It's the reaction that's the problem. It's not what you guys were doing, you know, fucking around with bat DNA. It's the backlash you worry about. And that's what people believe with Fauci is that there's a reason he still is pushing the zoonotic origin because he can't be responsible for 16 million deaths worldwide, especially after how lionized and uh, deified he got through our media. And that's why to this day, he still is like pushing the natural origin. No, it's not. It's natural origin. And he's still giving money to Peter Dachik, and they're still fucking doing this kind of research in Boston. I think, you know, that's a lot of also the palpable anger people feel, especially those who lost loved ones, is there's zero curiosity about how this all happened. It's just, oh, it's a virus. It's in China. Sorry, nothing we can do. It's Yeah, I mean, and I guess I would just say, in closing, even on a micro level, there's so many people who I know who I used to think were, even if we didn't agree on everything politically, that at least you share the same basic values about, you know, just being a decent human being and the lack of caring or even like the snideness toward people who were questioning some of what was going on. I mean, yes. I, I remember this one guy who I work with, who I like big liberal, I'm so concerned about everyone. And I, I said something about how I felt so bad for these kids who weren't going to school and how terrible it was for them. And he was like, well, you know, my kids are doing fine. And it's like, it's not a big deal. And I said to him, well, you know, Nate, your kids go to a really expensive private school. <laughs> They're at home with a nanny who's doing their schooling with them full time while you sit in your computer in one room and your wife is in a computer in another room. And they have all these resources at their availability. So you don't have to be as concerned about them. But the majority of this country, I would say, probably statistically, doesn't have those. Like, just and like the the leadership sets the tone for the country. So besides all the concrete things they did, that you encouraged all these people to be the kind of human beings who just not only don't give a damn about their fellow citizens, but like are outwardly hostile to them, just to turn a blind eye. I mean, I'm just going to briefly mention. I don't know if you heard. Um, I think her name is Julie Powell, that woman who did the Julia and Julie. Um, yeah. And it's like, so, you know, she died, which was very tragic. I don't wish that on anyone, but people have kind of been pulling up her, her old tweets, which I'm not saying is a cool thing to do, but some of the stuff you see like, oh, I'm glad that, you know, these, the right people are dying. <laughs> really? Like, what the hell? The right people are dying because they don't agree with me. And there's like, the, the leadership did all of this. And they, again, they haven't followed any of those steps to this day. None of them will admit they did anything wrong. I don't yeah. think they feel bad about it. We would still be, I really believe, if not for political considerations, we would still be in lockdowns if some people had their way. Um, much less, you know, asking forgiveness and taking the steps to make it right. Um, and um, so I, I would posit that not only don't I think these people deserve amnesty because they've not asked for it or done anything to deserve it. I think it would be bad. That's not adult behavior. That's not the kind of society we want where the people in charge can do those things and not have any consequences because it can happen again. Um, and I'll just, again, say one last thing in closing. 
what we learn again in, in studying um, the idea of repentance is there's kind of almost universal agreement among sort of all the rabbis who explore this, that true forgiveness comes. You can feel like you're truly forgiven when you're in the same situation again, and you don't repeat what you did before. And I think you would agree with me that there's nobody who truly believes that these people wouldn't do it again if they could get away with it. Even knowing what they did. I really yeah. believe that. Yeah, I, I'm on your side on that one as well. And that's why, I, I mean, they were deplatforming, you know, legitimate professors and epidemiologists for just questioning the, the CDC. And that's, that's, that's the kind of stuff that worried me is you had social media companies. And as we saw in this DHS thing with The Intercept, just basically falling in line with whatever the CDC was saying and, and labeling everything else as disinformation. And that's a problem when it's a way of forcing everyone to think one way. And I get that there's, you have to worry about vaccine denialisms out there or whatever. Um, but now, I mean, things that were labeled conspiracy theories like ovulation cycles, um, that was labeled a conspiracy theory six months ago. And now you have NBC just saying, oh yeah, sorry, that, that actually is a concern. Um, and it's not an anti-vaccine sentiment to say that. And then they tried to make being anti-vaccine mandate being an anti-vaxxer. And so you're right that there, it was largely driven by politics about, again, by the people who were in charge of things, even people in media where Jimmy Kimmel was basically like, yeah, fuck these people. Um, and, it came, and it did come from a place of spite. It didn't come from a place of empathy. It didn't come from, okay, let's try to understand this. Um, you, you know, you had even writers for The Atlantic being like, hey, I'm, I'm glad I have Andrew Cuomo and not the people who think that Jesus will save me from uh, COVID. And so... Um, again, you're right in the sense that, and again, I think the point is, is none of them have admitted that, hey, we, we probably got that one right, or I'm sorry, we probably got that one wrong. And that should be telling because one, they either don't think that they did anything wrong or they're standing by their decisions in spite of mounting evidence that some of this stuff didn't work and it was unnecessary, school closings being the biggest one. I would agree. I would just also thank you to, to you and other people who just have platforms like podcasting, you know, which I really got into during COVID because I think many of us would not know so much about what actually is going on. So that's why that's why it's important to have those. That's that's why how I stay busy. I was going to go out of my mind and start eating the pets. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess there was I was just like out of like, all right, fine. I guess this is what I'm going to do. So thank you. It's good to hear from you. Yeah. Kind of, I remember this Twitter thread before I jump to the next, uh, just saying. Um, Ann Bauer, she had this great Twitter thread a few uh, a few months ago. This is back from August. And this, this to me sums up a lot of the sentiment. And so I'm going to just reread this. I think I've, I've either read it on the podcast or I've read it here before. But this is kind of playing into, you know, what we're talking about. She says, hey. Small cabinet maker, you have to close the shop your family has owned for 100 years because of a virus that mostly affects 80-year-olds. I know your staff is mostly guys in their 30s, but whatever. Also, Home Depot can stay open and sell cabinets because, but wait, we'll give you a loan, PPP, to pay those guys while you're closed for two weeks or four or maybe four months or six months. All you need to do is rush to your bank and fill out mountains of paperwork. And yes, wealthy politicians will be at the front of the line of those funds. Plus, we're not putting an appropriate safeguard, so scammers will get a ton of it also, but give it give it a try. You might get lucky. See, we gave you a loan that almost but not quite paid your four-guy salary plus benefits and maybe kept your business afloat, except, shoot, 
we closed down the country. Well, okay, really the world. And printed gobs of money. So when you're finally allowed to uh, open, there might be a tiny bit of inflation. Also, uh, supply chain problems. Sure, Home Depot will yet again be ahead of you in line for items because, well, they stayed open because science. So good luck with all that. Lumber prices, no tools, workers gained weight, staying home, and two of them have type 2 diabetes now. Which your self-funded health plan is covering. Yep, sorry, them are the breaks. Now we need to go relieve the stress on people who have finally suffered master's degree students who are carrying student debt from their undergrad degree. Sure, maybe they should have tried a community college first and then gone to a university, but some people need the experience of a small, same-minded school like, say, Grinnell. What's wrong with you? Are you against education? We're only going to forgive $10,000 of their debt on your taxpayer dime. Well, maybe $20,000, and they don't have to pay anything, no matter what their balance yet this year, because election, shh, we didn't say that. Oh, really? You object to this guy who apprenticed with his father from the age of 18 and sustained a business that is now a hair's breadth from going under for good? You don't want your money going for these student loans? You, sir, are a bigot. And remember that PPP loan we gave you when we forcibly shut your business down? Ha <laughs> you took it. And that means you have to go along with giving free money to other people under any circumstances to make them to like us or you're a hypocrite and a trumper. Fuck you. Sincerely, your government. Just saying you're up. Good evening, Stephen. How you doing? Uh, I'm hanging in. I was. I'm kind of preparing for a good for a good anger fest. So, fire away. Gotcha. Uh, on your uh, podcast, you uh, mentioned uh, you were saying how uh, you know the tone of the uh, Oster, uh, <clears throat> Oster piece was we need to forgive the unclean. I I echoed that same sentiment on the last call, and that was the thing that bothered. That's what triggered me the most because you read the thing and it's basically we need to forgive ourselves, the authoritarian vax people, because we didn't know. And, you know, let's throw some flowers to the to the rubes that uh, still don't understand that they that everything we did for them in the long run was really for their betterment. So we were wrong about a couple of things. But, hey, we were it was meant the right way. And I think that's the sentiment that really got everyone to, you know, lose their minds honestly most people just read the you know amnesty yeah, and blew that's, up that's pretty much the sentiment of the progressive left summed up which is hey we had good intentions and then when shit goes wrong it's like well let's not worry about this let's just move on yeah and and i'll, I'll get to my uh covid story here in a sec but they're doing that now with you know the upcoming election too i saw a tweet from a definite elitist uh celebrity tonight where it was kind of like hey gang there's gonna we're gonna have a red wave whoop-de-doo it that's what happens when you uh lock up schools or whatever as if to remove themselves from how they acted during covid you know and i and now they're doing the same thing with the election it's just kind of funny but my covid story was um i was in uh colorado at the time i Moved from Aurora to Five Points in downtown, and I ended up catching COVID, and um, and it put me in the ICU, but not because of the COVID. The COVID triggered ketoacidosis, and so my COVID symptoms didn't. I didn't have a breathing issue necessarily, but I did have fevers. But I was stuck in that hospital for a total of seven days. I don't wish that on anybody, but. Um, but that's one thing, you know, like I was definitely affected. Uh, professionally, though, uh, um, it actually worked out for me. 
you as a sales guy, you can get a lot done with emails and phone calls more than you'd think face to face visits are necessary. But um, I did have an uncle who passed away and we weren't able to go see him. Nobody was able to go see him. So my poor aunt had to do all that by herself. And, you know, there's obviously no getting getting that back. And uh, as far as amnesty goes, uh, like echoed from the pre previous caller, Faye, um, to me, there's no amnesty until Fauci. Um, I, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying Fauci needs to be uh, strangled and thrown across the Potomac necessarily, like uh, like DeSantis said. I, what I'm saying though is he does need to account for everything from where he's getting, where he got paid, how it was his disease to begin with, wh what involvement was there, and until that happens, there's not going to be any amnesty for anybody, you know. Uh, I would agree with that. That and that largely has to come from the people who, you know, turned him into a bobblehead doll or put his face on a pillows. And again, this this was one of the most maddening things of because you could see it happening in real time, which is we're in a we're in the midst of an unknown health crisis that we haven't seen in a hundred years. We don't know the kind of virus we're dealing with. And what do you have? You have a media that's focused on turning Trump and Fauci into nemesis and jumping on one side and uh, ignoring everything of the other side and demonizing that other side. And, you know, Trump didn't really do himself any favors with some of his press conferences, but he did have them every day. And he had Fauci out there speaking every day. And he had Deborah Burks out there every day giving, the, you know, and then Mike Pence and Operation Warp Speed every day giving the country updates. And, you know, oftentimes Trump's behavior overshadows the fact that we were getting that every single day. And then you had a media that just said, we're just going to focus in on Anthony Fauci's facial expressions. And that became a thing. And that's something where I look at and I'm like, as I think back and I remember that, I'm kind of like, no, you, you guys tried to turn this health crisis where we all should have bounded together and, you know, helped out. And, and people did on a microcosmic level. People were, you know, turning in PPE for workers and, you know, rubber gloves and things like that. Uh, but in the meantime, you had a media that was more concerned with creating a conflict at a level where we really could not afford to have one. And in the end, it turned out to be, you know, Anthony Fauci's now, again, a, a deified god, and he's an all-star, and we all love him and all of this stuff. And that, of course, lets him off the hook from any accountability because he knows the people that should be holding him accountable uh, aren't going to do that. Yeah, and then I'll uh, I'll, I'll end on this one. Uh, being down in Denver, I moved from Aurora to Denver, and then that's when COVID hit. Like that's when the lockdown hit. Excuse me. I like I literally moved to Five Points near downtown, and then like so. Why I bring this up is my first week. I was like, oh, look at all these cool places I get to go. <laughs> Shuttered like overnight. Every small bit. They're all small business down there. Shuttered overnight, and then I watched those people install outside dining areas and all these things and where we were at and i'm sure everybody experienced this but in colorado between the governor and the mayor constantly going hey we're open we're closed we're open we're closed there was you know hey we opened up restaurants and they would have record numbers and too many people and then all of a sudden they'd freak out because it would go viral and then they'd close it down. And I saw a couple of businesses pour, I don't know if it was PPP or whatever, but they poured money into, you know, basically acquiescing to everything that they were asked to do. 
only to have it still get shuttered. And before I left Denver, they hadn't recovered. Uh, there was very few small businesses that reopened. They still had the 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 the, the cool outdoor dining, but now it's just it's just got you know it's just a ghost town. And uh, on that, I'll I'll leave it for the next cat. Thanks for taking. Thank uh, Jason, go ahead. I'm going to try to kind of just speed through. Hello, you can hear me? Yep, you're good. Go ahead. All right. Um, I'm going to vote no on amnesty. Um, one of the things that was interesting, and there was an article or some commentary somewhere about how essentially the DeSantis administration basically followed classical, for lack of a better word, epidemiology here. And, you know, they say, oh, we didn't know what we were dealing with, but they just abandoned everything that they thought they knew or actually knew in order to try a bunch of different things. And it all went to hell. I mean, it wasn't like, I mean, we've gone from knowing masks don't work before the pandemic, then being told masks work during the pandemic. And now we're full circle back to what we knew before the pandemic. So I don't give them any credit for not knowing or not knowing how to handle things. I mean, basically the DeSantis administration just ran the pre-pandemic playbook while everybody else was panicking. And they also ran pretty much, they looked at what Europe was doing. They looked at what was happening in Sweden and they looked at how transmitters and they weren't the primary people who were affected by this. And so they looked at what was going on in Europe. They looked at the data. And then, of course, they met with uh, Jay Bhattacharya. And that roundtable was banned from YouTube. And here was a guy who was, he's he's a Stanford professor and epidemiologist. And I'm like, that was one of the first things where I went, what the fuck's going on here? Like, this is not, you know, he's meeting with this guy. And you look at his resume and you just go, this guy's not a kook. And it was shortly after that that I believe the DeSantis administration said, okay, we're going to open schools. Like, we need to get kids back in school or whatever. And people forget how, how he was treated when they did that. Uh, you had the Washington Post. You had uh, all of national media saying, oh, they're going to kill him. They filed lawsuits to stop him from doing it. And this is what they're kind of counting on. They're kind of counting on you forgetting about all of this, how they acted when someone just went against kind of what the narrative was being set through either the CDC and you had DeSantis' own people like going, well, no, the CDC is wrong here. And we're just supposed to take the unfettered, uh, unvarnished truth about what our government is telling us. And we know back in the past, that's not a very good thing to do. And it's not good to give them that kind of power. Yeah, and I'll keep it short, but I'll just have one more point. I mean, it really did damage to the idea of scientific consensus. I noticed that, and it's a thing, it's an idea I've had in my head for a while now, that in most professions, whether it's science, law, whatever you have, there's only like a handful of people who do any original thinking, and then you just have everybody lining up on either side, depending on what they think the, I guess, the zeitgeist in the profession will be. So like when your local health department person says, yeah, I know this is how it is, they're just taking their keys from Fauci or for whoever else. There's not like 
when you see a letter signed up by like 5,000 epidemiologists say this, no, 10 people have probably done the actual work and everybody else is just following a line. Kind of the vicious, as I said, the vicious cycle that now they're finding themselves in when they're trying to kind of deflect and avoid blame, which is, you know, Fauci saying, I had nothing to do with school lockdowns and I had nothing to do with lockdowns anyway. And by the way, those weren't real lockdowns. You could still go, go out of your house. Um, and he basically said, oh, those were all up to local places. Those are up to cities and, and towns and local health officials. And those people are all now saying, no, asshole, we were we were doing what you told us to do. Like, like this idea that Fauci is now just kind of this, you know, plastic bag blowing in the breeze like an American beauty or whatever like that. And he's just an uninfluential figure is the complete rewriting of history. And, and now you have to ask why they're doing it. I'll give you I'll give you a last quick word. Yeah, real lockdowns have never been tried. Um, yeah, it's just everybody following a line, and that's what most professions really are, rather than, like, we don't value professional judgment on the individual level anymore. It's all, like, best practices or just going with, you know, pronouncements from on high. The only thing I also have to say is free good tweet, man. Somewhere that he was like the last soldier killed before the war ended <laughs> on Twitter. Um, yeah, he, he's, he's a good one. Thanks, Jason. Uh, AD, go ahead. Hey, thanks, Stephen. Hope you're having a good night. Um, you know, what I think was very interesting about it all is the kind of bifurcation of experiences. And Emily Oster's clearly coming from the experience where you could afford it you could have things delivered to you yes percent to the yep. places that you needed um she also think, she, op she opens her piece about how she was just on a great hike and i'm like yeah a lot of people did that because they might fucking die if they don't um you, you bring up an excellent point that that's clearly you know the laptop class that she's coming from and and i'm more or less in that class myself i mean i could afford to handle it but you know, I think about some of not just the young kids who learning loss is a bad thing, but they'll still get to have some experiences without getting into the other politics of this. I know you have your takes, but there is a TikTok trend going on right now with some of the young kids where it's playing this kind of somber music about where the time went. And it's starting with a picture or a video of them. And it's this kid looks like he's oh, 15 years old or he's whatever. And then it cuts over to. Now he's got a beard and he's on a construction site. Or now the girl is just sitting behind a desk at a restaurant or something like that. And I wonder where they're going to come down on this as they're in voting terms. And we know they weren't at risk. We see lower vaccination adoption amongst them. Um, I'm hoping that this might kind of give them a bigger skepticism of government and government authority and all those sorts of things politically. That sounds like a healthy trend as much as every TikTok trend does. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it's interesting. Uh, I, I had both a nephew who was in his first in quarantine and he lasted one semester. And then I had a niece who was in high school. <clears throat> and, you know, I told her to, to write a journal every day. And I kind of had to just tell her. I mean, I think I think that they handled it well. They're They're fairly well adjusted kids, but um, I basically told her to keep a journal like every day. I said, because 
I said, I don't, I don't really think you understand the magnitude of the moment that you're going through. And, uh, you know, I said, you're, you're going through something that in a hundred years, I mean, it's going to affect everything we do from here on out. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of kind of like nine 11 in the sense of that the world just changed forever, like on that one event and, whether it's, you know, Taylor Lorenz's long COVID or, you know, it's uh, people who lost relatives or school experiences. I mean, she lost she lost a prom. Um, it was just like her and like five of her friends went and did kind of a self prom thing. And like they I mean, all of this shit, like just even that kind of experience. I mean, people can laugh. And I know like people who homeschool and stuff, but like, hey, it's just prom. But that's something you don't get back like those are things that you don't get back and it's good that, you know, they're young and then they can kind of grow up. And now she's, I think she's at university of Charlotte now and things are kind of normalized and that's all well and good. Um, but what about like fifth graders who, who are now freshmen or something like that? And you're right in the sense of, uh, we're still going to be dealing with this, the fallout, especially in the education field. Uh, we're going to be, we're going to be dealing with this for still a few years to come. And, I still don't think people really get that. I don't, I think the people at large don't understand how much of the world changed. I mean, you look at New York city where it's pretty much a ghost town now. I mean, businesses are open, but they close, you know, at midnight now because they don't have the staff and they don't have the customers. And if you look at midtown, it's a, you know, the last time that I saw it's just, it's a ghost town because nobody's returning to work. So you have all of this unused office space. So it kind of advanced this idea of at home work through zoom and things like that, like you mentioned, um, and Oster was a professor. And so she talked about, uh, you know, she was doing remote courses and stuff like that, but you're, you're at the point you absolutely nailed that. I want to ring, I run a rig home before I bring up someone else's you're absolutely right. That she's coming from that point of view of, you know, I, I was able to get my food delivered and stuff like that, as opposed to like a food delivery person or a grocery store worker during all of this. I'm not even talking about first, I'm not even talking about, first line health workers in ERs. I'm talking about just like they were just expected to have like poor people just trying to meet the bills, deliver their food from DoorDash and or grocery store workers during that time. Like those are the people to me. It's like, why are we not talking about those people? And I'd like to hear what they think. Uh, do, should we go through amnesty? And we're not hearing about them. We're hearing about the the Brown Education University professor you know, saying, Hey, mistakes were made. And, uh, as you say, like, as she's getting her, you know, everything delivered for her. So it's a good point. Uh, I'll give you a final word, AD. Um, yeah. And in terms of just how it upended everything, there's the education piece and we all pretty much agree that we're in a recession, but we can see those numbers and they're weird. We broke something like the economy society in a way it was hundreds of millions of data points interacting with one another government not that involved we broke something and you can't just put all the pieces back together when there's a hundred million billion pieces out there and so i don't know what we're going to come out of it but i don't think this even from the economic recovery i don't think it's going to be the same to any other thing so i'll go ahead and hang up um, i'm gonna just in the interest of mixing things up. I have a couple of usual Samuel Jacqueline. You're going to have to hold on a bit. I'm going to move Celia up, who is a new face, and she's at the back. So what was your, what's your pandemic experience that 
uh, would either grant you to say yes, oh, sorry, you need amnesty, or no, I'm not giving you amnesty because here's what I went through. Yeah, I'm gonna say that's a no on amnesty from my <laughs> end. Um, personally, I will say, and you know, to your point just a minute ago, so I was a bartender through the pandemic, um, living in Tennessee, so we were on the earlier end of reopening, which, you know, in my benefit, I, I will take that. I liked it a lot, but I mean, you know, it's like my pay got cut in more than half through the pandemic because, you know, we had forced rules on the amount of feet between tables. So we had to completely cut down over half of the tables in the restaurant. So things like that, you know, that bothered me from the and, beginning. And real fast, uh, to your point, yeah. I think one of the other things, and, and obviously being someone who's in the industry who observed this from the other side, you had this kind of soft reopening where it was, no, you have to leave your mask on, but when you sit down at the table, you can take it off. Or And that, to me, was one of those things where I was just like, we've just given up. <laughs> like, oh, like, my God. Because, yeah. because if, this is, if this really is that killer of a virus, then no, you would have to keep everything locked down and everyone in masks, whatever. But then because of politics, because people just started getting sick of this shit. And then once we saw the data come together where this was a disease that largely just affected elderly population and immunocompromised populations, then it became, well, we can't just lose the masks because people will get upset then. The, the wrong people will get upset. So it was, you come into a restaurant and then you sit down and then you remove your mask. And yes. it was the, like the, this idea of transmission apparently doesn't happen. And no one's ever answered for that either. That's just something that they decided to do. So sorry, oh go, I know because no. you're in restaurants and bars and oh you saw gosh, that no, happen. Fine. Yeah. And I mean, I'll say, you know, me just, this is so anecdotal to my experience, but you know, I was the server on the other end where I was the front line for enforcing these policies that I didn't even agree with. I didn't see any merit, any scientific evidence behind them, even at the time. And so for me, I mean, yeah, that put me in the place where I'm like, great, I'm going to interact with this table that is already coming in, enforcing a belief that I agree with, but if I want to keep my job, I have to keep them in a mask. And that, you know, lowers my tip, lowers, you know, just the quality of interaction that we have in that experience in that time. I mean, it it's something that I don't think many people in, I know it's kind of an overused term, but like many people in elite circles, it's the intricacies of social relationships that have just completely fallen apart. And I mean, that was kind of my other point without ranting on, like I said, I'm in Tennessee now, I've been here for five years, but I grew up in Iowa, born and raised in the largest Mennonite and Amish settlement west of the Mississippi River. So there is a very thick religious through line that runs through the community. And that has always been the connecting factor, no matter what, we've always had a very tight knit, safe literally 0% murder rate, like it's very safe community. But even just getting on Facebook now is like torture. I mean, seeing what people from back home are bickering and fighting over like neighbors, family members. I mean, my middle sister won't even talk to my dad anymore because of his COVID beliefs. And I mean, this is like, we're talking amnesty. And I know I've seen responses to that article 
in terms of like, well, we should at least give amnesty to these close family members, neighbors, friends, but then, you know, we'll save the anger for the larger institutions and the people in charge of that. But like, how do you forget the way that people acted? I mean, through the pandemic, it's so abnormal. I'm sorry, I'll go ahead and let you speak, but that's all I have to say. No, uh, I appreciate, I think, I think that you're, you're right on the sense of even just how, how skeptical people are of people now, um, in, in general, um, I, you know, I still see people walk around with a mask. I don't care if, if that's what you want to do, have fun. I have a friend who basically said, I'm going to wear a mask every flu season now. Like he just said, every, every time I'm inside a large play, I'm just going to wear a mask because he's not sick. And he's like, great. But also what we saw, what this did to immune systems from not being sick, from just not, you know, people not getting the flu through, uh, this is one of just, one of these just laughable kind of things is because everyone was in a mask two falls ago and, and, and through winter, we basically did have a flu season. And so, Nobody really got sick other than if you got COVID. And now because people didn't, you know, their immune systems weren't attuned to the just the natural allergens and the natural flus that are out there. Now you have people getting more sick. And it's just kind of, it's just, it's, it's like Matt Damon walking into his apartment at the end of The Departed. You know, it's just like, oh, fuck, like whatever. Um, and that's just another side effect of all of this. And like I said, you are right in the sense of how this just, I think, strains just everyday interactions between people. And then now it's kind of shifted to people who do wear masks, depending on where you live. Mm -hmm. Obviously, California is still, you know, looking at, uh, you know, the first time some fucking eight-year-old sneezes, they lock down the district. Um, And so that is another kind of sociological thing that I think has gone understudied, which is now when people, when you see someone, at least where I'm at, in a mask, people are like, oh, that person's still wearing a mask. And you don't really think about, okay, maybe they're immune compromised. Maybe they have a health, another health issue. Maybe they just like wearing it. And, you know, again, for me, the problem was never people wearing masks or not wearing masks. Great, do it. It was the, we're going to force you into a mask. And if you don't wear it, we're going to shut your business down. So, um, Celia, thanks yeah. for your input. I like, I like hearing the story about just, again, being in that industry and, and being up there. So, again, thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate all the work you do. Keep it up. I love thanks it. Thanks, Celia. All right, thank you. Samuel, give me your uh, COVID pandemic story. Are you up for amnesty or no? Uh, no, and I'll be super quick. Um, but I was, I, it was my senior year of college whenever COVID hit. So it just like my personal story, like I got out very lucky. I'm not somebody who was really that badly affected. But I mean, I got basically kicked off campus and the entirety of my senior year was virtual. And it was just, you know, a complete waste of time and money. Um, but the, the the one point I just wanted to quickly make is that this isn't some small mistake that got messed up by some small uh, municipality, you know, in rural Texas where it affected 100 people, which could be really horrible. But this is a worldwide phenomenon that got messed up from top to bottom. And we're supposed to be granting amnesty to the people who to this day have not apologized, have not admitted that they're wrong. And again, we're not talking about even some governor necessarily. We're talking about the CDC. This is their literal job. And they completely bungled it. And we're just supposed to forget about that. Like we're, we're just supposed to move on and act like, 
oh, well, you know, everybody made mistakes. You know, that that's an argument that's okay in spring of 2020. But as soon as you get to late summer, early fall 2020, if you're still repeating the same bullshit, I mean, my local community where I lived during the pandemic, schools were open. Schools opened August, whatever day they go back in August. They're open from start to finish. But New York, you know, these big uh, metropolitan areas, they were out of school for, you know, years afterwards. So the fact that we're just supposed to move on is ridiculous. And there's a bunch of people in queue. So I want to get out of here. But I'm just my point is just this. We're supposed to let the experts, the supposed experts off the hook after they bungled this for two plus years is just absolutely ridiculous. Of it. It's it's if you don't wear a mask, you're a terrorist. You're killing people. And that's where I think went, wait, wait, what? Like, no, hold on. Or it was if you don't get vaccinated or whatever like that. It was it wasn't it wasn't the let it let us help you explain why we need to do this or whatever. It was just this clear vindictiveness. There's this clip of Jimmy Kimmel going around on Twitter. I can't find it, but it kind of sums up the whole attitude. And now it's now it's we must grant amnesty. Um, Jacqueline, hold on for one second. I'm going to bump up Gideon, who I think is new here. So I'm just trying to get as many new people in as possible. Gideon, uh, you're up. You're next. You can just hit the unmute button down there. Uh, are you for amnesty or, uh, tell me why or why not based on your own personal experience with COVID and the pandemic? Uh, Gideon, if you're looking for it, just the mute button's right down there on the left. You should just. Yep, go ahead. Okay, thanks for doing this, Stephen. I think apart from the bartender, I think my business, which is the business of classical music, performance, opera specifically, was the one that was most destroyed. So Amnesty is a hell no from me. Uh, They wiped out two years of performance. When when you say opera, explain. Are, are you are you years of auditions? Yeah, I'm an yes. I'm a performing opera singer, and uh, not okay. only that's my that's my job. Not only do I do I not need to uh, forget, we're still in it. Sunday night, I had a performance, and the people in the pit are still wearing fucking masks. We have to rehearse in masks. Imagine you're singing six hours a day. In Italian, in French, in German, and we have a stupid piece of fucking paper in front of our mouths or are trying to sing. Everyone's wearing a mask. There's no is this, the is board. This, is, is, is this business? Is this uh, imposed by the state you're in, or city, or community, or is this something that, like, that the actual re- rehearsal venue requires masking? Yes, yes, and yes. Okay. <laughs> Depending on we where covered you the are. trifecta. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember I, I was uh, I was singing in November in, in, in Annapolis and the theater happened to be a, uh, a government affiliated building. So that one needed masks. And then there was a church that nursing in and that one, unless you had this, then you put it. It was it was absolutely it's all over the place. Uh, and the thing has, is, is has, that, it, know, has it physically has it physically affected your voice? Is it like change as either 100%? So it's actually like physically your voice isn't where it was prior to these things. Um, I mean, you get it back after a while, but it, it takes some time. And the problem is this, it's a cutthroat business. 
you're off your game for a day or two. They're like, oh, I don't know if this guy's got it anymore. I'm at lit- you're going to, you're not going to believe me when I tell you this. We literally would get, we literally still get, I should say, diction notes in rehearsals while we have a mask. You know, I couldn't really understand what you were saying in that, uh, in that part of the, I'm like, are you fucking serious right now? Like I have a mask over me and you're talking that you can't understand me as well. And I blame everyone involved with the business because these are the true believers. Even here, I, I'm, I'm based in New York and I'm, I'm literally walking in Riverside Park right now. Uh, a few blocks away from me at the Metropolitan Opera, just last week, are they letting people in without masks, audience? And they still test the singers every day. You, they still have to rehearse up to last week. They had to rehearse in masks. And up until May, you had to have a booster just to even go, just to be a part of anything. And so we are still almost in this thing. We are well behind it. And I blame, I blame Fauci. I blame the, 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 the real diehards who run this business. And for me, it's an absolute hell no to amnesty. And uh, it's, it's pretty embarrassing. And uh, thank you for letting me rant. It felt good. <laughs> Don't get assaulted walking through that park, Gideon. Uh, so, I'll be all right. uh, anyway, hey, uh, congrats on your Fairy yeah. Lake piece. I thought it was your best yet. Good job. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I could have I could have done that as a magazine piece. She's she's a fascinating character, and I think uh, she's someone we're going to be hearing about for a long time. And that could be good or bad, but yeah. yeah. Gideon, thank you. Thanks for thank uh, you. Steve. Th- th- thanks for the experience, Jacqueline. Finally, you're up. Uh, I'm gonna. I don't think I'm gonna get through to everyone tonight, but I'm gonna try. So, but Jacqueline, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to. Uh kind of piggyback on what Faye and Samuel have said about the craziness of COVID. Um, Because I'm not 100% sure, but I think I had COVID in January 2020. Then my office shut down in March 2020, like everyone else's did. And But, like, my daughter, like I said, she was eight at the time. And... In Florida, the schools opened back up in August. So she, like, was on spring break when everything kind of shut down. And she was able to go back to school in the fall. Which I I just, from what I was seeing from everything, by June, I knew that kids were not affected and so schools should reopen in the fall. And Ronnie D opened up the schools in August of 2020. And so she went back to school. So I don't understand why these other states that kept everything closed for a year and a half, two years, are trying to say that it was based on science. Because the science that I read said that it was fine for kids to go back to school. And the last point I was going to make, um, my daughter, right before she went to bed at 9, she told me to tell you that COVID-19 could 
bite her butthole and she doesn't care because she hates COVID-19. <laughs> okay, I'll, I will relay that to COVID-19. I'll make sure that COVID-19 understands that. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, again, and that was also a lot of based on European models. People also forget Brian Kemp was reopening in Georgia. And I don't think that that goes far enough into people think that Brian Kemp's just anti-Trump and the voters like him there. But he also opened early and he even got pushback from Trump and the administration for coming out before him and saying, hey, it, it looks like we're OK here. Um, yeah, we're, it's affecting older people, but we're in front of it. But I want to reopen school and got pushback. And then, of course, you had that idiot on the beach in Florida in the Grim Reaper outfit. And uh, again, I think a lot of this comes down to you have people at the Atlantic who absolutely despise DeSantis. And I think them saying just an Atlantic piece saying DeSantis was right would probably go a long way towards amnesty. But they're not going to do that because we know that there's possibly an election coming up. So, Jacqueline, thank you. It's good to hear from you again. I'm bumping Echo up. I'm just bumping some of these newer people up because I just want to mix it up a little bit and then I'll get to Jeff. Do you, are you a believer in COVID amnesty? And what, what happened to you during the pandemic to frame your yes or no on that? Uh, I am not. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're good, man. Yep, Hello? you're good, man. Go ahead. Yeah, so um, I had a child in uh, August of 2020, and so I was childless for you know the first part of 2020, and then I became a parent. And we got, as we would find out later, we were pretty lucky that even though we are part of the so-called you know laptop class, it is goddamn hard to entertain a three-year-old, a four-year-old that is at home while you're trying to do your job. Um, and so we didn't have any of that, luckily. Uh, obviously, my wife was uh, off work and taking care of the kid. And then we had a daycare around the, the block eventually when she went back to work. So that was all great. Now, I am uh, in the Navy. And I, uh, ironically, the uh, military um, Daycare is called a CDC, which is hilarious. So it means Child Development Center, which is just a dumb military way to say daycare. They probably could have come up with something better there. Well, it's been called that for probably 50 years. Hilarious. And so we got him into the CDC, and that was great because it's actually pretty subsidized and it's really cheap. Um, But my whole COVID thing was going in there and seeing two-year-olds and three-year-olds and five-year-olds in masks day after day. Like, you want to get in a shitty mood at 7 in the morning when you drop your kid off um, just to see. Now, he didn't have to wear – my son did not have to wear a mask until he turned 2, right? And so he he was good to go. He was maskless. But it got to the point where he wanted to wear a mask because all the other kids were wearing masks. It was pretty understandable. He, he got over that eventually. But, man – it was horrible just seeing that. It's utterly ridiculous. And, you know, like the, the little kids, they, they, they're they all in masks, and then they all say, okay, put your mask uh, like in your cubbyhole. It's time to eat breakfast. And they're still inside. Like it's completely pointless. You know, it's just utterly insanity. And so then eventually I'm counting down the days and the months and the weeks until my son turns two, and he will have to be masked as well. And so then that happened. And luckily he only had to do it for about three weeks three, four weeks. And, uh, and then the, uh, the community spread level, uh, turned to green, I guess, low and no more masks. And so that is my, that is my story. 
and it doesn't sound like they're going to go back to them because we have an election coming up. <laughs> they might. They absolutely might. Yeah. Um, the, the military is, is pretty dumb. So <laughs> we won't tell anyone you said that if you're, if you're, yeah, no. but um, yeah, I mean, that's, what's going to be, it's going to be interesting because we're, we're kind of, we're heading into flu season here and this is kind of only what our second year post real pandemic. And so I'm real curious to see like what happens in places like New York city and California. And when flu season hits, if, you know, Newsom's pretty much isolated from any of the midterm shit, like he's, you know, I can do whatever I want here in the state. And so that's going to be real interesting to see if they, you know, if they, they re-implement some of this stuff or if they just go, holy shit, we just got the shit kicked out of us in the midterms and maybe we shouldn't do that anymore. Even if it's in the name of science and health, we can't do that anymore. So, Echo, thanks for that. I appreciate that. Thank you. Cheers. Uh, we'll go. Let's see how this is back down. I'm going to try to get through everyone, but I'm probably going to kill this after a couple. Go ahead, Jeffrey. Jeffrey's one of my podcast subbers, so if he doesn't jump on here real soon, hey, hey, there hey. he is. All right, go ahead, Jeffrey. Hello. Hey, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, uh, I haven't actually listened to the your podcast yet for today, and uh, I've only gotten little bits and pieces of other people's callers, but uh, I just wanted to uh, tell you about my experience with COVID. Which was basically... Are, are, Jeffrey, are you pro or anti-amnesty here? What's that? Are you pro-amnesty? Should we should we just move forward without explanations or whatever, uh, or not? Fuck no. Okay, carry on. But, uh, yeah. So, uh... Huh. My, uh, my mom died of COVID... She, uh, when, when COVID started, you know, nobody, you know, you, you couldn't go and see anybody because, you know, COVID and, uh, my mom was in a home, you know, and, uh, so at the time I was, <laughs> you know, I was a, uh, you know, basic conservative, you know, and, uh, COVID started and like, I couldn't go see my mom and the whole time that I couldn't go see my mom that I had seen, you know, every, you know, couple of days for years, you know, I saw this shit from people like, you know, maybe, Maybe you've, maybe you've picked up on this because, you know, I'm a subscriber and whatnot, but, you know, I have a particular hard-on for Jonathan Last. And the reason I have a particular hard-on for Jonathan Last is because the entire time that COVID was going on and I couldn't see my mother, I couldn't see my mother as she had a stroke and a blood infection and countless other things, this motherfucker was telling me that I was a, I was a grandma killer and a death cultist. And, you know, 
sorry if I'm unhinged, but god damn it, this shit, it's been, I mean, what the fuck, you know? This, this is my experience. And the fucking fact that these motherfuckers want to say, nah, don't worry about that. It's, it's, it's nothing now. It's like, what the fuck, man? I do, I do think that, again, there was a level of contempt. And it was, it was unnecessary contempt to show, you know, to people once, you know, as again, you're right. Like people were like, you're in a death cult or you're, you know, whatever this. And I think that that's where, again, where you're coming from. And I think a lot of people are coming from in a sense of, you know, we weren't really the ones going on offense on stuff like this. It was like, if you don't listen to the CDC on this and we would kind of go, I mean, I did. I listened to the CDC. I was like, I, I followed lockdown orders and, you know, I even went and got vaccinated and I did my part and I'm not going to do it again. Um, but it was kind of like, if you don't follow exactly what the CDC is telling you, you're you're a threat to society, you're a danger, and you also just deserve to die, whatever. And there there was certainly a lot of that, and a lot of that is now that's that's kind of given way as again we're we're going into an election where I think a lot of people like you are gonna basically vote more angry than they ever have in their lives, strictly because of teachers' unions and strictly because of this party that, you know, Joe Biden, I'm going to shut the virus down. And now you're still using the virus and all these little hypocrisies. And um, I do sense that that's kind of what's driving some of this, which is, you know, they're about to be out of power in, in ways that they can't even imagine. And I mean, you might, there's a chance Gretchen Whitmer is gone and she kind of became the nurse ratchet of the pandemic. And that will probably be the reason why if she loses her race, that she will. Kathy Halkel's another one. Um, a lot of this is basically just post-pandemic, and it's also the hypocrisy we saw with, uh, you know, you, we did everything we were supposed to do. We did everything you told us to. We locked our businesses down. Oh, and then three weeks later, it was torched to the ground because of racial injustice protests. <laughs> and so uh, I, I, do, I do get your anger. I, I do understand it. Um, and uh, I, I think that this is the problem with what especially kind of corporate elite media is trying to pull is it's like, you're not, you're not actually out here talking to people. You're just, you're just saying, you know what, this is a vibe. We need to, we need to just forgive and forget and move on together and figure out how we get through this together. And it's like, you didn't want to do that with us even six months ago. So Jeffrey, uh, I'll give you the last word. Go ahead. Yeah. I'll just say like, you know, you talk about radicalization over the last couple weeks nothing radicalized me more than the bulwark and that's it uh well that's certainly you certainly have a good reason for it so sorry about your loss jeffrey so thanks for calling up jim go ahead uh we'll get through f and will here uh we'll end the things on will but go ahead jim can you hear me yep you're good go ahead all right. Uh, yeah, I lost a sister to COVID. Um, she had heart surgery in the beginning of 2020 and was home recouping. Her daughter was taking care of her. Um, she also had uh, suffered from depression. She had to go off her meds uh, for that heart surgery. And uh, 
my my niece had to check her into a facility and uh she came home with covid and uh you know she was my uh niece took her into the hospital and they said well you know we're not not sure it could be the flu you know go back home over the weekend you know like tuesday she could barely breathe they took her away in an ambulance and uh my niece never got to see her again and that breaks my heart so no i don't want any amnesty um i think they ought to figure out what they did wrong and um not until they do that you know there shouldn't be any talk of amnesty do you think part of obviously jim jim when did she die was it towards the beginning of the pandemic when kind of they're just figuring out, because like you said, she went in for surgery and then she had to go off for medication and then she caught it. And then it was kind of like too late kind of thing. Was this, was this early on in the, it was fairly early. So I'd say, you know, she caught it in April of 2020 and she died in like May 2nd. Hmm. And and that was in Michigan. <laughs> so, you know, I yeah. wonder if, you know, the Cuomo wannabe Gretchen Whitmer, you know, pushed, you know, pushed infected people into that institution. You know, that's in the back of my mind. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's reports that she did the same. And again, I, I think that I, th- I think a lot of people are like you in the sense of, no, you know, there's never accountability. And I mean, Cuomo was out of office and that's fine. And he did, he did, but he wasn't out of office because of COVID. He's out of office because he was, you know, making unwanted advances towards women, which we know is a forgivable offense. And he's on, he's already on his way on the comeback trail. Yeah. And so, I mean, we know Whitmer did the same and it's interesting because again of politics and because we have a media that's largely politically driven on that side of the aisle, it's just, well, no, even if Whitmer signed a nursing order that, you know, killed your sister or several other people's families, um, it's still better than the alternative. And uh, there's not there's not going to be. And again, Whitmer is someone who had the Fauci bobblehead doll behind her. And um, she, she was definitely one for one reason or another. Um, and, and I think it's because of how cold she came across during all of this. And of course we had the, we had the, the, the vehicle protests and those people were just all labeled domestic terrorists by the media. It was like, no, you need to go home. You need to get back in. You're violating orders. And it was kind of like, maybe you should start listening to what some of these people are saying. Maybe exactly. just maybe. And they yep. never did that because again, journalists, I mean, if you're journalists, I would go out and I would talk to the people in the cars. I just go, okay, what's your, what's your grief here? Like what, find out how reasonable it is. Some of them I'm sure are just angry. They can't, you know, go to the, go to their bar, whatever like that. But the idea that, you know, she imposed these super strict lockdown orders and then people got fed up, especially when they started seeing protests, they were like, Oh, we can do that now. And then they, you know, they do the car caravan outside of, outside of the governor's mansion or whatever, the governor's office or the, the state capitol. And almost instantly, they were just kind of labeled, you know, mental patients and domestic terrorists. And that's something that I think a lot of people saw. And again, we're going to, I mean, her race in Michigan, you think is a lot closer than it should be. And, you know, if Gretchen Whitmer's bringing in Obama 
four days before an election, then that there's something there that says she can end up losing. And if she does, it's going to be exactly over the things that you just said. Yep. So. All right. Thank you. Jim, Jim I'm sorry for your loss. And uh, thanks for sharing your story. I appreciate it. Take care. You bet. Uh, F, same, same thing to you. You've been listening, so I don't really need to set it up. Just are you pro-amnesty? And, and if you can... Uh, share a little bit about why or why not with your personal pandemic story. Hey, Steve, can you hear me okay, dude? Yeah, you're good. Go ahead. All right. Um, well, Jeffrey and Jim, I mean, that's that's tough to listen to, man. Um, and I think for the most part, I'm, myself and my immediate family are fairly fortunate um i mean i have a shit ton of stories um wife is a peds nurse i'm a traveling salesman um but basically i guess one one story and then then a question so um company went from kind of recommending uh, the, the shot to enforcing it in a pretty short order. Um, I dragged my feet hoping that it would get rescinded. Uh, I don't know. Something would happen. So either way, ended up having to get it. Uh, the first girl was like straight out of school and I asked her point blank, hey, can you shoot this in the trash can? I'll, I'll give you some money, you know, buy your lunch. Uh, tried to tried to bribe her. Didn't work. Um, went back for the second one, whatever that was, six or eight weeks later. And um, the lady that was giving the shot, her son was uh, in the military. And so we get to talking a little bit and come to find out she's like the Rosa Parks of like giving saline instead of the vax. Um, I think it'd be pretty funny one day if they made a movie, you know, who knows how many people in the military that she, um, you know, she was able to put, you know, it's a risky thing, right? And your chances of a lot of things go up. Um, But for me, I think, you know, what I'd like to, to hear is someone, you know, someone that's intelligent like yourself or um, whoever say, hey, this is wow. how we can put in some stock gaps so this will never happen again. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily, you know, dragging people through the street and, and uh, putting people in jail. I'm sure there's a lot of people that feel that way, but um, you know, for, for me, like, you know, what's that's my biggest concern, right? We dodged the bullet um, compared to a lot of people like Jeff and Jim. But, you know, what's what's to keep this from happening again? Um, is In elections, you know, is what everyone says. But, like, then what? So, anyways, first time, long time, learning to skate here. Uh, appreciate your work. Uh, I'll go on mute, sir. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Um, I, I didn't know about this, like this idea of just like, uh, just injecting saline and then getting a note. That's interesting. Um, and, uh, I'm trying, I'm trying to remember the, like the other thing that you said. Um, and I completely forgot it, but, um, no, it's great. Thanks for calling in. We're going to finish up with Bill here. So thanks, Steph. I appreciate it. Appreciate your story. Uh, Will, 
this has been kind of a weird one, so go ahead and, like I said, are you for amnesty per the Atlantic piece? And give me your pandemic story on why or why not. Yeah, sure. A couple of a uh, couple of tough tough stories to follow. There, I mean, really puts everything into perspective and really just kind of reminds you of all of the just unnecessary, you know bullshit that people had to endure because of the failures of our leaders at every level, local, state, and federal. Um, I think amnesty is really just another way to for these people to gain abstinence of all the wrongdoing and all the mistakes without ever actually having to say that they're sorry or have the words come out of their mouths that they did anything wrong at all. Right? Like this 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 jackhammer in the uh, that wrote the Atlantic piece was like, well, you know, mistakes mistakes were made, but she didn't say mistakes were made. She just said, we should probably look past all everything that may or may not have been wrong. Like, and most of my anger, like, I think, thankfully, I, I didn't lose anybody. You know, my, I mean, and probably should have. My dad is, you know, in his 70s, but didn't miss a day of work, went into the office every day. He asked for a key and said, yeah, I don't. I don't care. I'm going to. I'm going into the office in downtown Chicago, whether it's COVID or whether it's a race riot, and uh, that's that's that. Um, so he probably should have gotten something, and he, he took a risk and ended up that he was just on the right side of the bat. But most of my anger stems from just like what is a total helplessness and just a, a complete like inability by the by by no control of my own to protect my kids from things that I knew were wrong or at least worthy of questioning or even conversation. And, and what has been a resounding, you know, bell that's been rung over and over here is that like, if you did ask the question or if you did want a, to, a conversation about this stuff, like you were, you were shunned or you were called a racist or a bigot or an anti-science denier. Like it's all, it's all nonsense. Like the town park, which we have to like pay for, from Memorial Day to Labor Day to use, that was closed. And they, they didn't let us off the subscription uh, or the, the fee for that at all. The, the town didn't. You know, like, Children's Museum closed until June of just this year. Um, children's Storytime, like, canceled for so long that I'm not even sure that it's being reinstituted. And my middle child has missed out on some, like, very, very crucial learning and socialization stuff from 18 to 18 months to 24 months. Like, Will Haskell, our state senator here in Connecticut, who is an actual child who hasn't had a real job in his life, but was sure to write a book about having a, a hundred thousand first bosses after uh, after serving in state government here in Connecticut, like was at a town hall and was making the case to keep kids in masks in school like this year, and b- because that way, if they kept kids in masks. They could keep the emergency funding for COVID to help uh, help people who are displaced from homelessness, and like that was his argument: keep kids in masks so that the homelessness can can you know we can pay for them a little bit more. Like, and our town, uh, our town was so crazy about contact tracing that like you know if if there was a breakout, it was immediately all over all like the moms Facebook groups and all over the town message boards about how in irresponsible the the parents of the high school kids that are hanging out are like these same high school kids that are that are bagging these wackos groceries uh in the during the daytime who after work go and play basketball 
at an outdoor court were then like called out by name and demonized on 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 facebook posts and facebook groups like you would think that they had actually killed somebody like you know my kids missed a couple of years of of seeing santa claus at christmas time because we just weren't allowed to do it and in 2021 the best we could do was drive by santa at at the church which we couldn't go into because you know there was enough doubt seated amongst all the people who did or may or may not have known different and such a political bend to all of this stuff that you didn't want to tell on yourself in the liberal northeast of of being on the wrong side of things that everybody just kind of like ended up having to bite their tongue and go along with it and and on top of all this like i feel after hearing so many of these tragic stories you know I, i started a new job in march of 2020 i accepted the job when de Blasio and the uh, Surgeon General of New York and the health department person in New York City said, no, no big deal. Go to Chinatown. Go go to St. Patrick's Day Parade. No big deal. Well, yeah. And, and you were racist. Remember, Pelosi pulled the race card on that one. Yeah. yeah. But what an actual joke. And then my... <laughs> Who my, was it? My, was, that, was it Slavit or... Yeah, he basically said, you know, we're... Because that's when, the, that's when they said that this virus was coming from China... And I think Trump called it the China virus. And he said, we're not going to let hate or xenophobia win. Go out and celebrate the, uh, the, the festival of dragons or something. And yeah. they like, called everyone into Manhattan. And yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a good example that I'd forgotten about. Just a total joke. My, my first day of work was on March 23rd, 2020. And that was the first day that my company went fully remote. So my computer on my first day was dropped off in a FedEx van. And this was still when we thought it was like, you go outside, you see two people, you die. And so the dude in the FedEx van was like, are you, are, are you well? Yes, sir. Frisbee's my, my laptop to me. <laughs> Thank God I caught it. But like, it just everything was just such, such a joke. And when my kids and my family finally did get COVID, we took them to the pediatrician to make sure that, you know, the home test, which had already proven, you know, faulty, made sure they were right. The pediatrician at the practice, which we pay to go to, was like, sorry, we're not going to give your kid, uh, your two-year-old, the, the COVID test, the PCR test here, because we have to save those for the community. Like, fucking what? Like, it's just so much absolute nonsense. Like, I wasn't allowed to see a single ultrasound of my, of my youngest, you know, because there wasn't, a, wasn't more than one person allowed in the room. And, like, you know, again, like, I keep coming back to thank God. Thank God my story isn't as tragic as so many others, um, you know, like, but still, nonetheless, I remain just so angry and I can't, I mean, I can believe it, but I also, there's a part of me that just can't, can't balance the ledger on how, like, you know, guys like Ned Lamont and Blumenthal are going to coast to re-election this year in Connecticut because, you know, that's just the way that everybody thinks out here. Just vote blue and you'll be good. Yeah. And then to S point that I'm saying is like, I, I don't know when we say no amnesty. And like you said, he's not going to go, dra- you know, dragging people through the streets, but he does mention stop gaps and accountability and saying, okay, how do we make sure that this doesn't happen again? Because it's a possibility. We now, we're now in a place when there's just fucking, they're still playing with monkey pox in Boston for some reason. And it, it does come down to the idea that you, accountability matters so exactly right. We, it, this doesn't happen again, and it's like it's like you said. It became almost instantaneously politicized, 
And your example about, you know, the, the, the Dragon Fest where Nancy Pelosi's like, it's fine. Come to come to downtown San Francisco. Come to Chinatown. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, and like we were just kind of like, hold on. No, is this a killer? They, they could never make up their minds. And if it was a killer virus or it's just it's kind of like a flu thing. And then, uh, you know, when Trump said it's the flu, he gets demonized. And then what we're learning is variants pretty much are that. It's just a question of are they man-made or are they not man-made? And asking that was racism. And um, But then, of course, the fact that it came from a wet market is not racism. And, again, it was, it was the tone of people at that time. And I think that that's where people are not going to just move on and let go. And it's like you said, people missed out on people missed out on life experiences. And I think if people were upfront and honest, I think the attitude today would kind of be, and if it wasn't so much, so much like vilification for the people who got it wrong and uh, uh, towards the people who were asking questions, I think people would say, you know what? I missed, you're right. I missed the ultrasound, but in fairness, they were doing it out of safety to be, you know, harmful. And now we know that it wasn't that big of a deal, but at least they were upfront and honest with me. And we know from everything from Fauci to Walensky to Weingarten to Biden that they have not been honest about, you know, the circumstances around this. And then we learn, obviously, Randy Weingarten's in there making, writing CDC policy. And people are like, why the fuck is the head of the teachers union writing health policy? Um, and so these are, to me, all of the things that we're looking back on and going, no, you only want amnesty now because you're all about to be thrown out on your butts. Yeah, I mean, we made, we were forced to make decisions and sacrifices based on poor leadership, faulty executive decisions, and bad advice. And it's just like that, the fact that they tr they're trying to get out of it without saying so much as these are the things that we got wrong and these are the things that we need to find out. Like, it, it, you're right. It, if it were an honest conversation, maybe I could approach something that would even look like okay, fine, maybe, uh, maybe I'll forgive you at some point. I'm going to stew and be pissed about it for a little bit because that's just what I do with authority figures in government. But <clears throat> other than that, like if this is the approach they want to take with like, let's just move on. Like what difference does it make? Go fuck yourselves. Um, I hope you all rot in hell. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one to end on, Will. So thanks for that. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, this was uh, episode 57, Amnesty or Exile. I think we got our answer. Um, I think that the answer here is no, we're not looking for amnesty, and no, we don't think we're going to let you have it. Um, I wanted to go ahead and thank uh, everybody who came up into the queue. I think we got through most people. Uh, if you didn't, I'll probably be back this Saturday. On, I'm going to look at a different topic. But again, thanks to my callers, and uh, I know a few of you shared some hard stories, so I appreciate that. And uh, it does put everything into perspective that, you know, like your, your demonization and your mistakes, it wasn't like, hey, let's just move on because we lost some money. It's people actually lost loved ones. And, uh, some people lost businesses and jobs. And now you're just asking for us to kind of just put all of that aside. And I don't know, not get angry. With you. And uh, I think the lesson here tonight is that it's not going to happen. See you all on Election Day, I guess. Uh, I'm Stephen O. Miller versus Media Live on Colin. I'll be back on Patreon tomorrow as well as Saturday, and uh, I'll try to fit in another one Saturday and maybe just a general topic AMA. So once again, thanks to my callers. Thanks again to my audience. 
Uh, you guys are keeping me up kind of towards the top of the uh, the ratings here on Colin. There are people who have much larger followers than I do. And so, again, I appreciate it. And uh, go watch the football game or whatever, but I'll be back on Patreon tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Cheers.